Hello, this is Abigail. On a July afternoon in 2019, Eric Eddings and I had a conversation. Eric and I kind of knew each other when I lived in Brooklyn, and because of the work he does, I thought he'd be a good person to talk to about the quote I was working with. Eric will tell you more about himself soon enough. On my end, it's a little unfiltered and I may sound a little basic, but Eric never dies, and I think his perspective is worth hearing. It certainly helped me. On that day, we spoke about telling the stories of Black people, the idea of Blackness as a burden, having Black children, and more. So here it is. I'm giving it to you straight, unadorned, with just a few edits. You may hear some wind. Testing, testing. Hello? (laughs) Hello. Hey, cool. All right, we're doing it. So um, the quote is um, that for all of that life-shaping power, race is a mirage, which doesn't lessen its force. We are what we see ourselves as, whether what we see exists or not. We are what people see us as, whether what they see exists or not. Um, and that's by Ibram X. Kendi from his new book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yeah. I, actually, I don't think it's actually out yet. I don't think it is either. <laughs> I, I, I read his, uh, his uh, uh, stamp from the beginning, which is really good. I actually did a talk with him. He's, oh, nice. He's like kind of amazing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I didn't read stamps from the beginning, but was that talk with well-read black girl? As- it absolutely was with uh, with Glory. Glory okay, said I think it. I was there. Oh, word. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But yeah, so I guess like thinking about your actually first, can you just like tell me who you are <laughs> and what you do, what you think you do? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, who knows what I actually do? But um, no, my name is Eric Eddings, and I am the co-host for the Nod. Um, I'm also a producer on that program, so I, I host and produce, and uh, I've worked in in podcasting, I guess for probably about five ish years now uh, maybe maybe a little more strangely I'm getting old I can't count but um, <laughs> but yeah I, I, I like to think of myself as a storyteller and uh, specifically somebody who is uh, really invested in the telling of, of the stories of black people I might ask some questions that feel really obvious <laughs> no 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 I, trust me I'm a journalist um, so I have to ask the dumbest question possible yeah. to try to get to <laughs> yeah. some of the good stuff so trust there's no judgment on this side so okay cool <laughs> Um, like, why do you feel like you focus on Black stories, one, and two, like, why do you think that's important? Sure, yeah. I mean, there are, I mean, there are a million reasons, but I think the most, the most important one is uh, I feel like Blackness has given everything to me. Um, you know, it's given me perspective. It's given me history. It's given me... Um, and, you know, a career. It's 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 giving my mom a career, like, and it's shaped every single aspect of my life. Uh, and so, you know, I feel I feel very indebted <laughs> to to the diaspora and you know all that comes with it, uh, be- because of how it shaped me. And I think um, along with that, I've been like many people, you know, frustrated with the way uh, our stories have been depicted, both historically and uh, presently. 
And so, you know, as soon as I felt like I had enough of the tools to be able to do that differently, I, I felt, a, honestly, a, like a duty and responsibility to try to uh, rectify that in the ways that I know how. So, um, you know, for me, I feel like there are so many amazing stories um, about black people all over the world um, that haven't been told. And then there is probably an equal, well, actually, no, there's is a smaller number of stories that have been told, but they've been told pretty shittily, if I'm being honest, uh, <laughs> you know? And so I think I can do at least a marginal better job than that um, on the stories that have, you know, already been produced. And um, the other thing that's really exciting about the opportunity I have in focusing on black people with my work is, you know, that I can, I can try to find some of those stories that haven't, that just haven't been told um, and, and focus there. Mm. I mean, I think it's important for those same reasons. I think um, blackness is, no, is, yeah. is essential to um, the history of the world. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we are, yeah. we, you know, uh, and the intersection of the rest of the world with blackness has shaped so many different aspects of our world culture. Um, Period. Full stop. And so even if people don't recognize it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, no one really recognizes. Especially maybe especially if people don't recognize it. Uh, And so I think it's important because because of that fact, because people don't truly understand how much uh, comes either from black people or from uh, society's interactions with black people. Uh, I think, you know, it's important to do a better job of telling those stories. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just there's just better pictures to paint. And I want to paint the the better black pictures. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's I love that. No, I love your turns of phrase. <laughs> Thanks. They're all strange um, just because like I'm... I'm just speaking off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's not strange. I, I actually really love how you said, like, blackness has given everything to me because I feel the same way um, in a lot of respects um, but I don't think I've always been here like I think mm. especially growing up and going to predominantly white schools for most of my education I feel like it took me a long time to kind of mm, see blackness as something that wasn't a burden <laughs> no i hear that and uh, i mean i've i've felt the same no, way for a little bit like you know i mean i think i might i might it might have expressed itself in different forms but like you know it's it's part of what what i was just talking about in terms of the stories are told shittily you know like we're mostly given the pain like you know if you are if you're tracking our history uh in terms of how it's been framed by you know American culture and, and most of the world, you know you're you're just tracking like bullet points of of like increasing pain and trauma, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and so like you know I didn't really it took a while before I could realize like how much joy and celebration exists in parallel to that like it or exists right along with that. Um, and I think it, it was at that point where I was like, oh, wait, this like, no, there's more here. Like, you know, yeah, like it, you know, life, there's a, there are a lot of aspects of, of being black that, that do suck, but like, it's pretty fucking great too. <laughs> you know, like uh, looking right. back is pretty awesome. And so, you know, that, that really 
that for me was a paradigm shift that that really changed you know how I thought about who I am and and the legacy that I'm, I'm fitting into. Hmm. And I think it's interesting um, jumping off what you said because it's not like pain is inherent to blackness. No. Like <laughs> that's a legacy that's been given. Um, but like from that legacy, what is inherent to blackness, in my opinion, at least, is like resilience and like and and joy, like you yeah. were saying, and sort of like um, making something out of nothing over and over and over again. <laughs> no, exactly. I think you know, going back to kind of the first part of what you were saying in terms of like you know we're mostly given the pain, like you know, I mean, like so many for so many people. They they don't start thinking about uh, about black people and in, in the black diaspora as like a concept until it starts interacting with like colonialism, you know. Until you know you have world power starting to di- divide up Europe, and then the shit really kicks off once you get that that international slave trade, you know. But like people were around for a long ass time before that, you know. <laughs> there was culture before that. Right. And then also, like like you said, like there's so much our ability to survive and to thrive in spite of every single obstacle thrown at us uh, and to find joy in that survival and to build full, whole, happy lives, um, I think is remarkable. It's, it's, you know, there's innovation there. Like, you know, there's ingenuity. Like there's just so fucking much. And it's all really interesting and complicated and human. Um and yeah, we I think we you know we all got to do a better job diving into that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to hit the quote for a second. Sure. Um, do you believe in slash agree with the idea that race is a so- social construct? I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I guess like I think. You know, the easy answer is, yeah, race was created. Uh, But the concept of race was created. But what that means for us now, I think is like, I think people almost give too much to that, you know? Like, race is real today, (laughs) you know? Today, at this second, in this moment, like, race is real, I am black. the historical context mm-hmm. in which I was created, sure, yeah, it was, it was, it was. Um, I needed to be black to have, so I, so that I could possess less power than someone who was white. Um, that you know, that's why they need. That's why they need these divisions. But, uh, but now, because those things have been constructed, um, you know, because of you know colonialism white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, those those effects are fucking real. But also, you know, beyond that, like, it's given rise to a culture. It's given rise to a people. And the idea that, like, just because it was, you know, kind of created under these nefarious means takes away any of those things, that I'm like, I'm like that that I can't get behind. So like, yeah, race is a social construct. They made it, you know, but I'm black. 
And if you try to describe me as anything else, we probably gonna have some real, real problems. And that blackness means something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Part of me is like, should I get personal? I don't know. No, I mean, um, we can yeah. talk. I we That's... keep it greasy. I'm straight. I'm I'm with you. It's all good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So like, um, I know that you like have a black child and stuff and I'm like not married don't have any children and stuff and I think for me like there I'm trying to get over it because I reckon well I don't know whatever but I there's a lot of like unease with the idea of having a kid that's not black <laughs> mm. not that the kid wouldn't be black right sure because I mean, my if they child were... would be black yeah if they biologically if you didn't adopt your child would be right. black my biological child would be black. Yeah. <laughs> but it's when I start thinking about, like, lineage mm -hmm. <laughs> and, like, uh, okay, so what happens if my, like, now, like, see, and maybe this is where the social, con the race as a social contract thing actually does come into play and maybe does get a little bit murky because it's, like, if I think about, okay, so if I have a half black child mm -hmm. and then they have a <laughs> like quarter black child like it's like sure like what is what does the, that mean so basically right like the one drop rule coming back <laughs> and haunting well, yeah, me. but but that <laughs> but that one drop rule is important because it helps you ascribe so like so like okay you said you said a bunch and let's let's if we could, if we could do it let's unpack that real quick right Okay, so okay, uh, i you know I'm I'm, I'm I promise I'm be, I'm not I'm not trying to set you up for the fall. I'm, we all friends on the call. No, uh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> um, but so blackness is more than just our like how we uh, how we physically express it. You know what I'm saying? Like blackness is also culture. It's also history, and so. Um, I think it is important for us to remember that as we think about ascribing blackness or as we think about lineage and legacy, I think it's important to keep that in mind. Sure. In terms of like, let's say, you know, and it seems like we're dealing with hypotheticals. Hypothetically, if you have a, a biracial child, um, that child is black and something else. But the blackness is still black. You know what I'm saying? Like it's still it's still there. And to me, that doesn't get diluted, you know, by the idea that there's an and there. Because mm. what should be important to to how that child understands their blackness is not just how they look and even how, you know, like from a DNA perspective, how much blackness they have as a percentage of them. It's also about that culture it's also about that history you know regardless of how your child or your child's children might look uh for a variety of different reasons you know whether it's through continued marriage or um you know just sometimes you know sometimes folks be light-skinned you know what i'm saying like sometimes folks be you yeah, know people can pass you yeah. know like who you know yeah my mom's super light-skinned so Anyway, regardless of the reasons why, that doesn't change the fact that, like, you as their, you know, ancestor or grandma or whatever 
are a black woman and lived as a black woman and struggled as a black woman, you know, in, in, in probably in many different capacities. And your your uh, how you push through that struggle is still important to those kids that come after. And that and blackness is a big part of that. Does that make sense? And so I don't know. I, I hear you. And I think that I don't know. I think it's. I think that piece of it is slightly less important uh, if we're doing our job of ensuring that kids are getting the culture from which they come from. That's the key point, right? Because I feel like, I don't know, I have a lot of friends who are like very adamant about marrying black people, having like fully black children, whatever. Um, And so it's something I've had to think about a lot. (laughs) Um, But also I think that what scares me, I guess, about the possibility is having like that like one sixteenth black child down the line, like thinking about our world today, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what the world will be like. Well, I don't know if there will be a world. (laughs) (laughs) It's not get presumptive. (laughs) Yeah, but, um, you know, like, if there is a world in, like, I don't know how long it would be, 75 years, and there is a little, like, white-looking child (laughs) that is in my lineage, and that child can point to me generations back and be like, oh, I'm saying this, like, racist thing but it's okay because my great-grandmother was black you know like that's the thing that like but but it's true it's like if we're doing our jobs then that shouldn't be a worry but then that provides that like we we literally like all have to be doing our jobs like it's not just me it's like (laughs) yes now you got it that's the fucking work yeah it's hard and you can't, but that's that's the work, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, that. that's the work. That's part of why I do what I do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't make, you know, I, I make my show for black people. I make my show for black people. You know, I'm not saying I'm, you know, I'm not a one-stop shop, but I hope that my work contributes to people's idea of the legacy and history that they fit into. Uh and maybe gives them tools on how to think about it. And then people, you know, hopefully are doing that regardless within their lives with their kids. And so, you know, I think if we if we do that, you know, then our kids are going to grow up where blackness and how people talk about and understand their own blackness is now very important. And if that's very important to who they are, then that's going to be important to passing that on. And it's also going to be important. It it has to then become important to their partners as well, you know. Right. Uh, and so for me, that's where those things really come into play. I think a lot of times people will allow uh, their blackness to take a back seat to this new union, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, it was, I'm, you know, I'm, if you're in an interracial relationship, oh, well, you know, I, we're mm-hmm. now in a, we're swirl, <laughs> you know, it's like, or whatever these, right. whatever these things are. We never talk about race. Yeah, we don't talk about race. <laughs> it doesn't come up. And I'm like, well, that you're failing yourselves because this is a part of who you are. And your partner, this person who you, who is signing up to deal with you forever, you want that person to truly understand who you are and your experience. And so if you're going to do that, uh, if they're going to do that, they got to understand the legacy in which you come from. And so, you know, if you're choosing a partner that is is really interested in you, uh, and this ain't calling shots on nobody, but, like, then then your blackness <laughs> should be important to them, too. And it should be important to them pass that blackness on to any children that you might have by any means, you know. Even if they adopt. They can adopt yeah. a white kid. But guess what? Mama black. you know what I'm saying and you need to understand that you might not be black but mama's black and that shapes your world so yeah that's true I appreciate that perspective (laughs) yeah Um, I mean it's hard in real life you know I mean it's hard you know hell yeah we all been Um, out here (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) so I want to switch gears and talk about the hair spins in particular sure um, um, with that like particular podcast episode, um, actually, let me back up. <laughs> I feel like one of uh, the general U.S. public, let's say, mm-hmm. one of their favorite things to do is be like, "Oh, slavery was in the past," like discrimination is in the past this stuff doesn't matter and like maybe it's changing a little bit more with like you know our current president and all that but I still get actually pretty disheartened like seeing I don't know stuff on Twitter or like wherever hearing people speak about things and just seeing how like far out of I don't know their everyday, the stuff that we deal with every day is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think the Harrisons in particular, like that episode is really interesting because it shows like through this one family how like slavery is not not really that far away um, yeah, it's, from most of us. It's super recent. Um, right. And and the effects of it are still present. Absolutely. And, like, maybe more present than most people realize. Yeah. Um, Could you talk about uh, how you came to that episode, I guess? And, like, actually, yeah, let's start there. Sure. So (laughs) the the quick version is um, I... I was good friends with, uh, a, or a, fr- a good friend of mine. Her name is Princess Hairston, and um, she uh, she obviously is a Hairston herself, um, not directly or not closely related to Everly, who's the main character. Everly Hairston, who's the main character of uh, of the the two episodes that I produced, but uh, but she was actually working on a documentary about her own family history and basically how she didn't realize that she tapped into this Harrison legacy. 
Uh, and she also lived, I used to live in the uh, apartment, the garden apartment below her. She owned a building <laughs> and she was my like landlord. We worked together for a little while. She was my landlord for a little while. And so, you know, I had heard her talk about the kind of the beginnings of this and uh, and also just paid attention to kind of her progress with the documentary. And, and so we got to talking and she was telling me about, she was telling me the, like, the scope of the story. I'm just like, oh my God, this is insane. Like, you, there's so much of this, I just had no clue. And uh, and I was like, you know, well, hey, obviously I'm not trying to scoop in on your doc, <laughs> but like, you know, are, like, who, have you come across any people, any stories connected to you that like, just feel remarkable and she like basically stopped me before I was done with the sentence and was like you have to talk to this woman <laughs> Everly Hairston and she started telling me uh, like the most broad strokes of her story you know she uh was raised on a plantation with the ancestors of the family who enslaved her or enslaved her family uh she had to run away from that plantation to have a better life. She lost her sight. You know, she's like kind of kind of fought her way through all these trials and tribulations and is killing it now. You know, really feisty, cool old black lady. And uh, <laughs> and it just she's telling me these broad strokes and it just sounded fake. And so like, you know, I was like, no, this is like a movie <laughs> plot. You know, like this doesn't sound real. Yeah. Uh, and so I started researching Everly and researching the Harrison family. And, oh, my God, I was just like, wow, this is insane. And so, you know, I had to talk to her. And, I, you know, I talked to uh, – uh, Brittany and I um, went out to L.A. and sat with her. And we originally were supposed to get a much smaller scope of the story. It was originally supposed to be more about how she disrupted that family reunion that year. Um because and for for people who might um not know the story uh the Hairston family the white Harstons is how they pronounce it and the and the black Hairstons um still actually um meet every year in a joint family reunion and you know there there kind of always been this reluctance to talk about the reality of what that type of relationship really means in terms of a power dynamic. The White Harsons are still very wealthy. Um, you know, the there are a ton of black Harrisons, but you know, they're still breaking they're they're now breaking bread as if, you know, shit is all good. Uh and Everly broke up this family reunion one year, basically saying, like, no, we're we're still feeling these effects. My family was still working for you, you know, under conditions that for most would would be appalling or you know at the, at the least concerning and unfair <laughs> you know uh for for decades yeah. uh they gave you most of their lives and there had not been accountability for that so she broke up that that family reunion one year and kind of made this amazing display of force um and so i went there to get that story and then she starts telling me her life story and you just don't interrupt that you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. What this woman has experienced, uh, she felt comfortable enough to share with Brittany and I, and I was just not, I, I, I felt the duty to honor that. And so we went there for what was, we were supposed to be an hour interview. We were there for almost six. 
Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and she she gave us her whole ass life story, and it was still one of the most powerful things I think I've ever heard. Uh, I wish we could have crammed more of it into the two episodes that we produced. Mm-hmm. But that but that's, that's how I found the story. Um, Sorry. Yeah. Um. What do you hope like comes from stories like that, from like putting it out there? Uh, hmm, that's a really good question. Uh, can I give a couple answers? Yeah. Um, I want I want everyone to know Everly's name. I want everyone to know Everly Hairston's name. Um, she is one of the most remarkable people I have ever met. She has survived things that I cannot fathom. Um, She lost her sight because of decisions that uh, slaveholders, people who enslaved her ancestors made. You know, she has a genetic condition that, that is largely believed to have been created because white Harstons, uh, basically would move around their slaves from plantation to plantation um, and you know instead of because they had enough to do that as opposed to quote unquote buying more um, mm-hmm. and her her parents or not her parents but her her family members unknowingly wed each other and they were basically they were likely cousins uh, and she she's living with the effects of that right now right now today um, as a result of her losing her sight uh, her other, her she had a, another sibling who also struggled from the same condition, but that that did not define her. That didn't define her. Running away from this plantation uh, didn't define her. When she experienced sexual harassment, you know, and a near sexual assault at the hands of white people who were supposed to employ her for like, you know, uh, household services as a maid. That didn't define her. She, after she lost her sight and could not read, could not do, could not complete basic functions for herself, she did not allow any of those things to define her. She chose who she wanted to be. Uh, she became an activist. She became, you know, she's a mother. Um, she's a, a, like a, a you know, business person. She's a writer. She defined her story on her terms, and her entire life was a fight to ensure that other people's decisions didn't define her, that she had that power and that agency. So I think everybody should know her fucking name uh, because it's important. Her life is important. Um, And so I think, you know, there's things like that, but also a complete picture, you know, like we're still, as you said, we're still dealing with the effects of slavery. There are people still dealing with this right now. It probably shapes my life, your life, in ways that we don't truly understand. And people need to understand. People need to hear that. We need to hear these stories. We need to hear the ones that are complicated, the ones that are hard, that you don't immediately know how you feel about it after you after you leave. You need to feel inspired. You need to feel ashamed. You know, like, we should feel all those things. They are a complete picture of human life. Uh, And Everly's story is a reflection of that. 
So yeah, so I got I think everyone should know her name because it's a story that deserves to be told. Uh, and it deserves to be told because it's a more accurate reflection of what black people can do and who we are because we're whole people. We are not just, you know, the trauma that happens to us. I think more people would be shocked at how many of these stories exist, you know? Everly, Everly, for as remarkable as her story is, it's actually probably not crazy unique, you know? It's it's a fairly common experience. And I heard people who had talked about, you know, experiencing different things that were similar to her. Sharecropping, which was, you know, a, a, one of the functions of the things that her family did. You know, shit. <laughs> still going on, fam. You know, like, all these things are still happening. And, you know, I interviewed another guy, um, Menelik Fambi, who uh, was one of the first people to desegregate schools in Memphis. And, you know, Memphis was thought of as a place where the, when when schools were desegregated. It was a thought of as a, as a place where shit went pretty well, you know. There was no, like, horrific violence. But but Menelik, you know, and part of that was because they, they, they um, brought these kids in as first graders. Uh, but he was a first grader desegregating a white school, you know? His first memories, or some of his first memories of going to school are of crowds of white people, you know, like standing around shouting a little bit, you know, but standing around gawking at him. He had to be led in by the police. He describes his first year at school as being at war. He felt like he was at war. This is a six-year-old with his teacher, you know? Uh, and he experiences, yeah. and this this affected him, this reverberated through his life, his, his entire life. I would not have been able to go to the school that I went to, or many of the, most of the schools I went to, I mean, all the schools I went to were white, um, largely white in, in white neighborhoods. I would not have been able to go to the schools in Memphis that I went to as a kid if it were not for men like Fambi, if it were not for his sacrifice. And I don't know how comfortable I feel with the degree of his sacrifice. And I need to know that. Yeah. And these stories are all around us. They're all around you, wherever you are right now, in Oakland or San Francisco. I forgot. Uh, Oakland, yeah. <laughs> Oakland. They're all around you in Oakland. They're all around me right now in New York, in Brooklyn. They're in Memphis. They're everywhere. And, like, you know, I don't think – I think I'm a pretty good storyteller. But, like, you know, I, I'm not that good, you know? <laughs> And and I just think everybody has I think everybody has more power to to seek those people out and and get make sure their stories get told before we lose them because we're losing people quick. Do you see your work as an archival project? In some ways, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, my my so our goal with the nod or one of our goals with the nod is to paint a more complete picture of Black life. We want to celebrate. We want to celebrate you know, all the different aspects of black life and try to tell stories of, di of the diaspora. And, and you know, this, th that, that mission is criminally <laughs> underfunded across the world. Uh, and so, yeah, a part of that is going to people like Menelik Fambi, going to people like Everly Hairston, um, going to people like Erica Alexander, um, going to people like my mom. I interviewed my mom. That That's not going to air, but I did it. Uh, and getting right. those stories, creating some sort of repository where people can go and hear them. 
Um, because if we don't, they're going to be lost. They are going to be lost. I did a story called The Deacons. Uh, and mind you, not to mm-hmm. say that The Deacons story would have been lost without me telling it. It had been told before. But I interviewed people who had not been interviewed before. You know, I, I told aspects of the yeah. story that had not been told before. If I had not talked to my mom at length, about her life story, I would have never known that that happened. My mom was one of the kids in Bogalusa that were protected from the KKK by the Deacons for Defense and Justice. She credits them for making sure she got to school safely for for year for a few years. And I had no idea. I had no earthly idea that this had happened in her hometown. The degree of it. You know, the fact that there are still people who are afraid for their lives today, 50 years later, or, you know, however many decades later, I would have never known any of that, any of that, because I had not asked a question. I had not asked my mom, what has your life been? What has your life been like? Tell me your story. So, like, mm-hmm. I think you got you to gotta start small. I'm trying to do that archive on the nod. I'm also just trying to do that shit in my basic life. <laughs> and I think I think we all yeah. should. We all have to make sure we get these stories because, you know, what would, God forbid my mom had passed away. And I never knew my own connection right. to this piece, this very important piece of black history. The important thing is more people have to be willing to go to people and listen. Like, when they start telling you their whole life story, when you go there, you have one specific question, they tell you the whole shit, you sit there and you listen. Because think about all the people who have not listened to them before. And what if that one thing that they were going to say that might have changed your whole ass life is lost because you didn't listen? I'm afraid for that. So I try to ask a lot of questions, and I make sure when old people talk and I shut up. <sighs> that's good threatening wisdom here <laughs> every now and again I get it right every now and again you call me on a good day I have my coffee I'm doing alright 